you know what the funny thing is? Is that Kiss sucks. And so, <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah, such the uh, the writers of such uh, such right. such excellent songs as "Love Gun" and "Lick It Up." <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of 1001 Album Complaints. It's the show where friends and musicians get together to discuss an album from Robert Dimery's list of the 1001 albums you must hear before you die. So each week we pick an album at random from the list. We listen to it 20 or 30 times and let you know, dear listener, if you actually need to hear it before you die. At the end of the episode, we'll all vote and pick next week's album. Now, remember, if you haven't had time to listen to this week's album, don't worry. We're going to have plenty of clips that will drop in along the way, as well as a playlist of all the random crap I'm sure we'll reference during the episode. Also, don't forget that if you're digging what you're hearing, go ahead and like or subscribe or write a review on your favorite podcasting platform, or better yet, tell a friend about us and help spread the word. We appreciate it. So this week, we've been listening to a band that, upon first hearing them, Tom Morello of Rage Against the Machine fame said, this is music for crazy people. <laughs> That's right. I'm talking about System of a Down and their self-titled debut album from 1998. Now, let's get right into the music with the opening track off this album, and then we'll come back with some introductions and our usual tweet-length reviews. So here's the first track titled Sweet Pea. Take note that sweet is spelled S-U-I-T-E and P is spelled P-E-E. Here it comes, Sweet P from System of a Down. Oh, this was a rough week. That's a lot. So let's uh, let's throw it around the room. Alan, why don't you take it first? Yeah, this is Alan. So I'm pretty sure that this came out a year or so after the debut albums for Creed and Limp Biscuit. <laughs> so I guess I can kind of see why people thought this was good. Ouch. <laughs> oh, wow, man. All right. <laughs> Hey, this is Rob here. I don't know what you're talking about. This album has everything. And by everything, I mean <laughs> high-pitched screaming, low-pitched screaming, and mid-pitched yodeling. <laughs> All right, this is Tom here. Uh, uh, I'm going to do my tweet-length review here. This is my impression of Robert Dimery making the review for why this album belongs in the list. <clears throat> With monster hits like Chop Suey, Toxicity, and Aerials, this album makes a clear case for... Wait, what? Oh, no, that's their second album? Oh, <laughs> shit. Okay. Um, you know what? Let's just keep it on the list anyway. Just keep it on the list. 
Yeah, why well, put the good ones Keep on? Keep rolling. <laughs> right, right. No time. No time to go back and edit this list. <laughs> Although, he, hasn't he been phasing... Doesn't Does he phase certain ones out as he adds new ones? Like, how does that... How oh, is it work? a steady 1,000 as the years progress? We should look into that. Uh, I'm pretty lazy, though. So Actually, just kidding. We've done, done all our research. We know. <laughs> yeah. we know <laughs> it's going to blow your mind. I do know the answer to this question. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, but I don't, I don't know if it's Robert Timery himself or his estate or you know somebody managing him in a care facility or whatever, but there's, <laughs> there's some kind of collective or concern that manages this list and adds things to it periodically and drops other stuff off. Yes. Ah, all right. It's he should hire know. us to be the ones that drop things. I feel like we'd really be in our element. <laughs> Trim this right down. This is a curated list is what you're telling me. All right. So this is Adam. And my quick tweet length review is I am doubling down on what I said about the B-52s, that the B-52s were a System of a Down album without the blast beats. I'm going to go hard on that and say that uh, System of a Down are the B-52s with plenty of blast beats. <laughs> so that's that's my quick take. There. Is that a positive thing <laughs> it's just a thing what the and heck I is the blast beat what is what aren't the blast mean? beats it's a technique where it's like super fast alternating snare kick snare kick but at like lightning speed for a short amount of time uh, at least from what i understand like, of but metal but and but new but metal but yeah like But it's usually done with, you know, 64th note precision, which is uh, it's pretty tight. I always thought that was double bass drum, but I, I think know. that can be involved. There in definitely there as is well. some double bass. Well, hold on. Can we get an intrepid fan started on the Fred Schneider system of a down mashup that I think we're all <laughs> craving right now? I'm sure somebody from Wolfpack will, will put that together for us. <laughs> Wake up! <All> right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, we've been listening to System of a Down's debut album from 1998 it has been an assault on the senses this week and perhaps we can do a little bit of history and uh we'll intersperse it with how you guys got through your week i joked about listening to an album 20 or 30 times i definitely did not get through this 20 or 30 times it is a long album coming in i think uh over 50 minutes which is a lot of metal uh, I'm sorry, coming in over 40 minutes, which is a lot of metal for a single. Yeah, 40 minutes. It's not actually long, is it the point. It felt a lot longer. It Maybe felt, it just felt It definitely felt really long. Definitely yeah. felt longer. Yeah. <laughs> so if you want to talk about System of a Down and this album, we're actually going to take a trip back over 100 years to 1915 Armenia. You'll see this theme come up a lot with System of a Down, and it, it kind of became a personal battle for Serge Tankian the lead singer. But in 1915, the Ottoman Empire, which is today Turkey, basically uh, during World War I, slaughtered anywhere between 800,000 and one and a half million ethnic Armenians. Allegedly. (laughs) No, that's, it definitely happened, but the Turkish government pushes back very hard against that. Right. And Serge Tankian, his grandparents escaped that genocide as children. They came over and lived at an orphanage in Lebanon. They subsequently had Serge's parents in the late 1930s. Serge Tankian was born into Lebanon as a result of of the family uh, migrating. But at seven years old, there was a civil war in Lebanon, and his whole family was forced to flee to California. 
So there's a lot of strife building in in this guy's life. And I'm, I'm talking about Serge Tankian because after watching a documentary uh, that he recently made, I think a year ago, it's called Truth to Power. And it's his own story of telling about where he came from, how System of a Down came up, social justice, all this stuff. It's really Surge focused. So uh, you might even call this band Surge Tankian Presents System of a Down. It's very, it's very focused on him lyrically, his political message, all that stuff. But he doesn't actually write the lyrics. For, or does he, does he write all the lyrics on this one? He, he writes most of the lyrics on this one, if not all of them. Because I realized coming in, I did think of him as the front man of the band. He's the most well-known persona. But then when I was breezing through some of their old interviews, it just seemed more and more like the guitar player was the driving force behind the band. And that, frankly, which I'm sure we're going to talk about via the individual songs, these lyrics, terrible is the word that comes to mind. <laughs> Yeah, they're they're trying. When you go online and read on some of these websites that try to interpret lyrics for you, it's a bit of a stretch. There's a couple tunes that are dead on the nose. One that we'll get to this specifically about the Armenian genocide, but the rest are man, you're you're definitely stretching it a bit to make it fit what the narrative. I just have one question: is. Have, Do you ever feel like you've been stuck in the sky? <laughs> Sixty times? Do they say that? I forget. You know, there are some bands where. You can't understand what the singer is saying, and then you hear the, the read the lyrics, and you're like, "Oh, wow, cool!" And this is one of those ones where I was like, "You know what? It's it's cool. I don't need to understand what you're saying." When I read, you them might out, as well like, not. Yeah, the, the scream is fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, there, speaking of that, there was one instance on one of these songs where I wrote down what I thought was a joke interpretation of what I was hearing. It turned out that was far too accurate. So. <laughs> Was it about the kombucha mushroom people? It was about yes! the kombucha <laughs> mushroom. <laughs> my favorite line on people. the album. That has been going through my head all week. But uh, yes, Alan, I would agree. Fuck those people, but still. <laughs> so Serge, Serge grows up from seven years old in the U.S. He has pretty vivid recollections of the Civil War in Lebanon. There are other songs later on in other albums that are specifically around him. The, the feelings that he had cowering in his room as a child as the bombs fell from from the the war that was going on around him. He and the other band members went to the same Armenian school that was set up in a uh, a section of Los Angeles, a, a very tight-knit Armenian community, and they all just kind of started playing around together. Eventually, they wound up forming what is now the lineup for System of a Down. They had a couple a surge specifically was part of two other bands the first one, you know, was together for six months and they had one show at like a community center, which I don't even know why you would call that your band. But well, I, I wanted to throw out there that <laughs> maybe this is the kind of thing that's sort of well known in California, but they're from a part of L.A. called Glendale. And I've heard mm -hmm. that as a result of the Armenian genocide, there's actually more Armenians in Glendale than there are in Armenia. That is right. Yes. They, the largest. Yeah. The largest diaspora. Of, of Armenians, yeah, is, is in California, which is very I, interesting. I was a little bit, I don't even know if impressed is the word, but the fact that they had four members, all Armenians, and then the original drummer, like, shatters his hand, like, fucks his right. hand up really bad, and they found another Armenian mm. drummer. And they're like, come on in, yeah. Uh, there's, it's a like, lot of, there's a lot of armos there. I know, you, you got to have still. good bench strength if, if you're going to start. Right. <laughs> well, it's like, what is, is there, like, an application process where they, like, list your ethnicity, and they're just like, uh, <laughs> so Polish? No, sorry, sorry buddy. That's sorry. a good question. I bet, did they make that a prereq of joining the band? Well, I wonder if it's more that that's probably 
well, I don't want to say that's the only people they knew, but like there's a good chance that those were the people they associated with. And right, probably some right. pick some guy from high school. Who knows? It, I, I, I brought up the Glendale thing because I'm just trying to make it clear that even though Armenia is a relatively small country and maybe to some listeners or folks in America, they might they might not get the context that it is a very large community, specifically localized in, in L.A., in Glendale. But, you know, in, yeah, in the Kardashians, there. man. The Kardashians are also Armenian. Yes, correct. Yeah. Oh, Ooh, this is right. it's the IAN. <laughs> like all the end of your last name is like if you look at all their last names, I believe in the band have the IAN at the end, and it's like yeah, right Tonkian, right. Malakian, Odajian, and Dolmayan. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So in 1994, System of a Down is formed, and they are one of these bands that did come up by just playing small clubs and cutting demos. There was no you know nobody rolled out the red carpet for them necessarily. So they put out a series of demos, I think four or five demo tapes, between 1994 and 1997. So at this time, when they started doing these demos, Serge Tankian, the lead singer, is 28 years old. Darren Malakian uh, is the guitarist. He's 20. Shavo Udajian is 21. He's the bassist. And John Dolmayan, 22, is the drummer. So they're younger guys, but Serge, kind of the leader of the band, He's got a good eight years on the youngest guy, so it's a big span, and, and he's a bit more, I'll say, mature in his uh, in his writing style. Really comes through. Oh, totally. Yes, you can absolutely <laughs> that's, see yeah, when... Sarcasm, audience. So de- <laughs> demo number four was sent out to Rick Rubin, and this is in 1997. It contained 13 songs, five of which wind up on this album. There's a classic story that they were going to play The Viper Room, and at the time, they did have a manager, and the manager said, "Isn't that you know, the place uh, where River Phoenix died?" Yes. Oh Jesus. Anyway, that's sorry. correct. Yeah, that's depressing. I just anyway. <laughs> so they're at the Viper Room. Rick Rubin shows up, and uh, I think Tom Morello was actually at with him as well. And that's when he noted that this is music for crazy people. I like so, how, by the way, the the story of them sort of playing at the Viper Room. It was the uh, the guitar player was apparently just like constantly calling and said he called like every day and was just like, can we play? Can we play? Can we play? Can we play? And eventually they were like, we'll give you tickets. And if you can sell the tickets, like you can play a show. And then they're talking about how it was this like huge smash success. And they sold 150 tickets <laughs> and 150 kids showed up just to see their band play and then left right after. I'm like, that doesn't sound like a good show. If I'm being honest, like, like well, no. 150 kids show up and then leave immediately after that band is done. Just to put it in perspective, that would have been great for one of our bands, but that's not good for like. A yeah, Rick Rubin ain't coming to see us play. <laughs> right, you know? Exactly. Yeah. But but it also does speak to, I mean, they did ground up, build a following, right? It wasn't, you know, there was no huge influx that that pushed them on the billboards. They had that show. Rick Rubin shows up. After that show, he walks up to them and says, I want to sign you guys. You're unlike anything I've ever heard before. Hmm. Well, that is, that's other, true. I buy that. That's definitely true. So Rick Rubin, in later years, mentioned that when he saw them, he said that he thought that they sounded like ancient folk music mixed with heavy metal. And you do get yeah. you do get some of that on here, sure, which I, I I appreciated. So a lot of labels, as they were trying to get signed, were scared of them because they noted, "How do you market for Armenian guys 
whose main message is recognition of an atrocity that happened over a hundred years ago. That's not a good tagline, is right? That, so, is that really the problem? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> like, how do you market this music? Like, period. Yeah. 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 It's, do, you, do you have fond remembrances of being at the carnival in the House of Mirrors? Yeah. <laughs> Does your child have undiagnosed ADHD? <laughs> do you want to have something to keep them occupied? Do you feel nothing but anger all the time? <laughs> So they fall into that genre called new metal. You talked about it a little bit on the Kid Rock episode, which I'm yeah, not present for. Yeah, up and down the blocks. But I think you guys did a phenomenal job on the Kid Rock episode. I, I, I haven't laughed that hard in quite some time. So well done. But this is considered new metal and alternative metal. Tom, you talked about the things that define new metal are, you know, it's not really that complicated. There's not a lot of intricate work. It's really quite simple, super dropped. These guys, most of their tunes are in drop C. For our listeners. Super sludgy. Yeah. Uh, standard tuning on a guitar is an E note. These guys drop it down two full whole steps. So you get a super low, well, just as Alan said, sludgy. Darren plays a baritone guitar as well. So it's a baritone also drop C. So you have a super low mud sound. Just everybody uh, plays bass at this point. Is that what's going on? It's almost <laughs> what it is. Actually, I, I can get down with this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are picks involved though. Uh, I felt like when oh, I was, <laughs> I felt like when I was listening to this, there were parts of it that sounded to me like, I was like, Oh, this sounds a little bit like Alice in Chains. But like without any of the good parts of Alice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I will say the times that they used harmony, I was like, oh, that's good. When like Serge has a good voice. He really does oh, yeah. have a yeah, powerful he, he, he voice. Sounds really great. good voice. You throw in a low harmony on that or like himself harmonizing above it. And it sounds really good. I could have used a lot more of that on this album. That is something that, so this, this, my experience with this album, this is the first time I've listened to this album. I had listened to Toxicity back in the mid 2000s, and then they had a double album set that came out after that called Mesmerize and Hypnotized. It was one of these albums that came out right when I was playing, you know, five nights a week and our band, we would have that in the van, just playing that constantly we were all just freaking out like this is the weirdest sounding thing you know this is great lots of crazy tempo changes it, their music got a lot more melodic and more complex compared to this i would say so th this was an interesting first look at where they came from but having listened to all their albums i can see that progression of how this led to what ultimately again is more melodic i think a little more complex let's let's to throw two things out there right away because you mentioned that new metal in our previous definition, meant that it stripped away a lot of the complexities that were in this genre of speed metal. I don't. Nothing about this is simple, from the vocals to the. There's they're, they're technically proficient players. I think is fairly obvious from listening yeah, to it. Yeah, I think that's fair. So I'm not objecting to that. I don't put it in the same category as Kid Rock in that sense, where everything just felt like studio musicians having a snooze while they were playing it. Right. Right. And certainly Surge vocally is pretty wild. He's a pretty wild talent. He has a huge vocal range and he sings in all these different styles, sometimes within the same verse, which makes it quite disconcerting. You know, it, it makes it seem like a joke. So I'll tell you that what I'm, this was a rough week for me. I couldn't possibly relate less to this music. I have to be honest with you. However, and the, and the emotions that are being expressed, but if you can recontextualize this 
as some kind of absurdist joke. Do you know? Do they know how ridiculous they sound? Because they it sounds to. very self-serious to me. They have to. It is self-serious. Yeah. So much of it is there's just I, I didn't write down which songs this happened on, but it was it was many where there would just be random noises in the background and just screaming. It almost sounded like the only thing I can think. And I don't even mean this in the shitty way it's going to sound. But I remember the first time I ever got like a microphone when I was a kid and I could actually record and hear myself. And I would just be like, <laughs> and there's a lot, there's like shit like that that's happening in the background. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, they, they have to be just fucking around. Yeah. Well, one of the musical touchstones, we could talk about some of the musical touchstones, but one that kept jumping out to me was Weird Al. But I know he's joking. <laughs> yeah, these guys take themselves really seriously. So Serge, again, this this documentary that I watched, he considers himself a poet and an activist, and he got into artwork later. So he's one of these guys that really considers himself an artist. And I I get it. I, I it's weird. I, I like them a lot would, less now on here. You, <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> right. I like them a lot. You less. were hoping I, yeah. he was just a dude. I thought that it was like, oh, his like really goofy personality really shines through. This is playful. And the fact that you're telling me that he's like, no, this is not playful. This they is are, my life. Million people serious. were slaughtered in 1915. Yeah. I'm like, I, I'm sorry. I don't really fucking care. Like, I right. get it. That sucks. <laughs> That's a terrible thing that happened. But like, you know. Well, I used to joke. I used, I used to joke around that, like, we all know that Rage Against the Machine, right? They're they're political. They have a message, you know, social justice as well. And I used to think that, like, there are these kids at Ozfest who go see Rage Against the Machine. They don't know what the hell he's talking about. It's a bunch of seventeen-year-old guys in the crowd. I hate my dad, and just running and punching each other in the face. It's the same crowd, right? Uh, this what is does assimilation mean? <laughs> Hold on a second, though. I I would have to say that Rage Against the Machine also comes off as self-serious, but then they actually have something to say. I scanned these lyrics because of the self-seriousness and because of the connection to the Armenian history and genocide. I was looking for some real content here and I didn't find it. Okay. It sounded like teenagers who had just discovered the F word and wanted to use it as many (laughs) times as possible. Wait, you, that's on this album? I didn't, why didn't I put this through a word analyzer? Oh man. All right, Tom, I, uh, I dropped the ball on that one. It's okay. It's if, if, if you did a word head. cloud of this, it would just be right. Exactly. <laughs> that would be just the biggest <laughs> inaudible grunt. Is just <laughs> parenthetical in there. Yeah, uh, it is. It is a very strange mix of lyrics. To your point, Rob, that some of them are entirely disposable, comically right. so. And then some of them are so overly serious that it I, I took it as like a farcical mix, but I guess it was not. And it was a very intentional like, oh, I really have this message I have to get out there about I don't know how much I hate people who like kombucha. And <laughs> <laughs> I think we've alienated like two thirds of the population already. I, <laughs> I was hope yeah, I know I agree. I was hoping that amidst that they were taking a neo dadaist approach or something to, to being in a band dada being the art movement you know where marcel duchamp had the urinal to try to get displayed in a paris museum and stuff like that like it's so out, off the wall that it's trying to deconstruct your preconceived notions of what this stuff even means but yeah I, you're not saying that so now 
I like it even less. So just a quick other, uh, some some quick notes on on the production. So this was recorded partially at Sound City in California, along with The Mansion, which is Rick Rubin's The Mansion, mixed by a woman named Sylvia Massey, who has done a ton of hard rock and metal albums as well. From a mixing standpoint, I did go and listen to a little bit of what I thought were the pseudo-contemporaries at the time in 98, which were the Deftones and Korn. And it definitely has a different sound. I know that sounds ridiculous. I'm just waiting for you guys to burst out laughing. Uh, <laughs> well, this has a different sound than anything. I, even though this is, if you strip out the vocals, it's somewhat boilerplate other than the disjointedness. The vocals really sets this so far apart from really anything else that I've ever heard. And I'd definitely give them that. Which, which, by the way, is what made the Cookie Monster stuff even more annoying. Because like you don't need like that's a trope that I think really terrible singers go to when they're trying to be powerful or whatever and like like Wah! but Serge has got a killer voice and he yeah. can get that power across in so All many right. different ways. Yeah. So when he did that, it was more kind of bowing to the exp- expectations of what yeah and oh you're yeah. heavy so you have to scream like and that this. that really annoyed me every time i heard that it's like you could have done so many cooler things that nobody else could do everybody could do that right do you- adam just did it right before this call it did a great pressure <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure it takes some practice also to do it for a whole evening but you know you know what other rock singer this reminded me of i don't know if you guys are familiar with this character his name's mike Patton, and he was the uh, yeah, lead singer of Faith No More and also of Mr. Bungle, but but listeners might know him as Faith No More because they had a couple hits in the 90s. Right. And he's also this very rangy singer. But And yeah, Mr. Bungle is a great touchstone here for I bet a lot of people have not listened to those records. They're extremely strange, kind of in the same way this is. They're not as heavy or in your face. They veer into lounge, you know, Caribbean territory occasionally. But anyway, you have a similar kind of vocalist who who almost seems like he's joking all the time because he's all over the map. Does weird voices in the middle of like singing and stuff like that. Like, and that's, that's unique and that's interesting. And that keeps me engaged, which is what I really liked about Serge's delivery. I'm glad Adam, that you said that they developed as a band after this got more complex and got more interesting. And maybe, I don't know, I probably didn't take themselves less seriously than another song about self-righteous suicide. I'm going to guess is a, you know, they're, they're pretty stuck on those deep themes, but, uh, yeah, yeah. This seemed like a good, a good first effort for a band. Well, well, let me throw them a, a quick compliment because I'm coming into this band almost completely new, but I did go take a quick listen to their biggest hits from that follow-up record, such as toxicity and, Ariel's What's the, chop suey. It's the one about leaving right. the keys on the table. That's chop suey. Chop suey. That's chop suey yeah. Wake up. <laughs> and listen, it is it's certainly recognizable as the same band, but it does feel more mature. It feels more rhythmically complex. It feels more melodically complex. So right away, I kind of got that sense, even on a glancing view, that they did continue to develop. Makes me feel like that was the record to listen to, though, not this one. I agree sure. with that. I had the thought that it's sort of the bizarro version of that concept where, like, you write your best shit on your first album where it seems like, you know, I don't know that they have some huge body of work that I find impressive, but it did get better than this for sure. So one, one through line that, that I did appreciate is that these guys just don't care. Not that they don't care about their craft or their art, but they just don't care what they thought would sell. I mean, these guys were truly being honest with their sound 
if they wanted to, and I, again, I know it's probably splitting hairs between the Deftones and some of the other contemporaries at the time, but they were doing what they did. And yeah, I, I, I do appreciate just the weirdness and that they didn't necessarily bow to uh, what they thought would sell because nobody honestly wanted to put these guys on the record uh, or on the radio. Rick Rubin was saying that after the first album, I guess K-Rock, right, which is a really big radio station. Remember those radio stations <laughs> in Los Angeles? And they vowed never to play System of a Down because they were just too weird. And then a year later, they were like the most requested band on K-Rock. So they they definitely did their own thing, and and, and I, I appreciate that. Well, there's also that interesting story about the concert that they were going to play for oh K-Rock. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. So 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 the, the story there is that this was for the release of Toxicity, their second album. Not even they realized how much of a grassroots audience and crowd that they were going to draw. So they had written the permit for, you know, some re- album release in the streets. And I think they said like 2000 and like 12,000 people showed up and the cops were like, you can't play the audience. Imagine that full of system of a down fans got angry and friggin looted and trashed the place. It showed up on the news and this was two days before their album dropped toxicity. And you really can't get much better. <laughs> wow. I mean, it's terrible that there was a riot, but you know, nobody was, I don't think anybody was killed or hurt, but well, another, man, talk about promotion. Another interesting factoid from that is that, yeah, the, the, the national guard came out and like there was rioting in the streets of LA because of the system of a down show. And it was a huge national story. And this was September 3rd, 2001. Yeah. And so everybody forgot about it immediately. It's like, Oh yep. Yeah. That big L.A. riot thing that we were going to make a big hay about for the next, you know, eight news cycles went away pretty damn fast. Yeah. Yeah. Also, it was white people, so we probably buried it pretty quick either way, right? Fair enough. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, I also liked how they were going to go on tour with a couple of other bands, and they were supposed to start on, like, September 14th. And out of respect— they wait until September 21st to go on tour. Oh, that's, that's, that's very kind of <laughs> Which I get it. You have to, like, life has to go on, but they were just sort of, I, the documentary they watched was just like, out of respect for the ter- tragic events, they waited until September 21st. <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, you waited a week. Good for you. <laughs> I also appreciate these guys, again, that came up kind of through the gauntlet when they opened for Slayer on a worldwide tour, and Slayer is notorious for just destroying the opening act. I mean, everything from throwing batteries on stage and food at them to just well, screaming at them. I think and they you mean, managed to. You mean the fans would do that, right? Yes. <laughs> I was like, damn, pretty hey, awesome. that's fucked He's, up, man. Yeah. Slayer yeah. the band just got a bunch of like nine volt batteries well, and just whipping them at you from the side. You of the guys stage. suck. <laughs> no, I, I, I read that. I read that anecdote too, and I, I definitely do relate to that in the same way that just imagine opening for System of a Down and the rabid fan. You know, this is an Oof, angry group yeah. of young men uh, in general. Or, you know? or to bring it back to to uh, last week, I think one of my favorite rock and roll quotes is Tom Petty talking about opening for Bruce Springsteen. And he's like, man, I got off stage and I was like, man, they were booing me the whole time. And he's like, they weren't booing you. They were saying Bruce. And he's like, well, what's the difference? <laughs> like- <laughs> All right. So uh, let's get into some of these these great songs. Actually, sorry, quick note. System of a Down has sold 40 million albums throughout their career. They uh, This album was released and reached 128 on the Billboard Top 200. It was certified platinum, but not until two and a half years later after Toxicity was released, became super popular, then everybody went back and got the first album. Can we, can we pause and talk about some of the 
we've thrown out K-Rock, we've thrown out Rick Rubin, and it's feeling just a little inside baseball, right? So for, sure, sure. for those not, you know, who didn't grow up in LA, which is none of us, my understanding of K-Rock is that it's the LA rock station for like the last right. 40 years. And so they yep. are really like the tastemakers of what people are listening to. And I think the general vibe of that station is that they were so big because they're, they're in one of the biggest markets. They're in a market where lots of bands move to LA to try to make it. So they're slipping early demo tapes under the door of these DJs. And they were able to maintain even over time radio stations. They, they played fewer and fewer of things that DJs actually wanted to play and instead just played from a list. I think right. K-Rock is thought of as one of those places that maintained that DJ integrity longer and so mm-hmm. anyway, if they were ultimately stamped by K-Rock, that is a, certainly a big part of their success, especially being kind of hometown heroes. The other piece is Rick Rubin, which we all know who this guy is. He's a large bearded Buddhist man, but yes. he's known for producing a wide variety of records, right? Starting yeah. with creating Def Jam records back in the 80s. We talked about him in the Beastie Boys conversation because he made License to Ill with the Beastie Boys, but then he also went on and produced Slayer Records and is, has this kind of metal vein. He produced Tom Petty's Wildflowers, since Tom Petty's already come up. He produced the Red Hot Chili Peppers' Blood, Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Well, wasn't his He's, mansion that where they filmed that documentary, The Funky Monks, where, you remember that? For, for Blood Sugar Sex Magic, they did like a little documentary, and I remember it was filmed in this kind of old-looking mansion. I don't know if that was his place it, or not. It, it could be. I, I don't know if he got the place after his riches or before, but anyway, he's sort of a producer du jour. Like, if if... If Rick Rubin decides to produce your album tomorrow, you're you're sort of already in, in a way. Yeah, we're, t- we're talking, you know, 150 huge smash hit albums under his belt. Yeah. All right, so let's let's dive back into the music here. So let's roll a little bit more <laughs> of Sweet Pea, which, to in their defense, I think is a good uh, a good mile marker for them as to what you're going to mm. hear on the rest of the album in that it is guitar and noise. So let's roll a little bit more of that. somewhat surprised when the first few chords or or riffs were somewhat major key ish. Like it actually felt like pleasing (laughs) in some way. (laughs) And that very quickly went by the wayside. And also something that drove me insane about this song, (laughs) he was doing the, the Spanish tongue rolls during the, (laughs) when he says everyone, he's like, everyone, like, yes. why? Well, what is that? Oh, dude, I love that. That was really cool, man. <laughs> everyone cried. Everyone cried. Everyone cried. I really thought why that was not? awesome. Have, did you hear anything else he did on the album? Everything is weird. <laughs> yes, yeah. it is. <laughs> Can we get a weirder take? <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and this song, start your album off. This song is about pedophilia in the church and how religion, you know, religious extremists destroy stuff. Um, and you felt the best way to get that message really across though? was to misspell was the title egregiously. Right. <laughs> well, okay. So the the opening lyrics of this, I had an out-of-body experience the other day. Her name was Jesus. 
And for her, everyone cried. Everyone cried. Everyone cried. <laughs> try her philosophy. Try her philosophy. Try her philosophy. Try. I don't like. Where does the pedophilia come in there? That's really, really. That's a stretch. Hidden Hang meaning on. in I, there. Like I, I had a note somewhere. I think it's where they're talking about laying on the ground and lying going naked to... on the floor. Let the Messiah go through our souls. Lie naked on the floor. Let the Messiah go through. Go all through our souls. Die, 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 die. Why? I want to <laughs> fuck my way to the garden because everyone needs a motherfucker. All right, yeah, it's pretty stupid. It's Lisa. not like I'm not. I'm not getting. Oh man, really deep message about child molestation in the church. Taking John Paul II down, pulling a Sinead O'Connor, like none of that shit's going on. Which, here. Rob, to your point, that's an inherent problem, right? You had Rage Against the Machine. A Rage Against the Machine rocked, and you could at least get the idea yeah. of what he was saying, right? Because yeah. he was using sentences that like, were around a theme or a topic. Yeah, some of those that work forces are the same that burn crosses. I get it. I got what I he's get talking that, about. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This this song was kind of a mess, and I'm not trying to just shit on it, but I had some very specific things that I also did not like about it. One, there's, <laughs> I can't recall when in the song this happened, but I just have a note that says, "Are there jackals singing on backing vocals?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think I know the part where it's like, "Oh." <laughs> He's just screaming something in the background. The guitar player is shouting something in the background. And there's also, yes. did anyone pick up on, the, there's a little bass break at like the one minute mark and it's the weakest. It drops, <laughs> we should put this in. It yeah. drops out for a beat and it's his bass break and I was expecting, and it's just like, doo, doo, doo. and then it kicks back in. It's like, why did you, <laughs> what the fuck is the point of this? It's, like, it's right up there with the runaway train turnaround. Yes. <laughs> and then the the other note, and this is the last thing I'll say about this song. I don't know why I wrote this. It must have just been how I was feeling. So I have this blender that if you put too much shit in it. <laughs> Go on. If you put too much shit in it or if it's too thick and you don't put it hadn't put enough water in it, it just starts going. <laughs> And it's not the same as the <laughs> that we've been ripping on. It's like something very distinct that is a specific timbre and tone that it just really got to me. <laughs> gonna need you to record that so we can drop that into the end. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh yeah. Oh, that's going in at the end. We're gonna I'm, tune in for Adam dude, remixing Alan's metal scream. I'm not burning out the motor of my blender for this for these guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna t- listen. I'm gonna take a little bit of a contrarian view. I kind of like this song. It really it goes hard, and it like I was picturing myself as a younger person listening to this, just full of that undirected angst and rage. And like, if once I read the lyrics, I was like, "Oh, these lyrics are terrible." But I couldn't understand what he was saying, so it didn't bump me when I was listening to the song. And it's kind of just shouty and angry and angsty and like. Like I, I can see just you know, like kind of headbanging around my apartment by myself with that going on in my twenties, and like uh, you know, actually kind of getting into it. I could see that for you too. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's not a compliment, but um, I it, it had a bit of that. Yeah, just like unsettled anger and unsettled like energy that I just have to kind of get out there somehow. And that's their audience. They nailed it. And I'm not that audience right now, but I can picture in my head when I was that audience and I could I could get down with it. But that to me feels like their whole vibe. And I don't think this is the best example of that. So, again, if this was the only song I was hearing of theirs ever and it was in the con- in, on a mix or on the radio, then maybe I would have some of those feelings. Although I've never personally related to that kind of undirected, intense anger thing. It's just it would never be me personally. But I get what you're saying. I just think they do it better. They're kind of a one note. No. They are one note. Maybe I'm more specifically speaking to the opening track, opening album um, vibe. You know, it was I had listened to a, a, a few of their hits before. Mm. Certainly not familiar with their catalog. So when this came on, I was kind of like, okay, all right, yeah, I can get down with this. I got tired of the sound by the end of the album every time I listened to it. Yeah. And as I came yeah. back to this song again, it you know it sort of did it less and less for me every time, but. There's just something about the fact that the first time I heard it going in just completely raw and hearing it and being like, oh, yeah, okay, I can get down with it. It, it sort of held nostalgia is not quite the right word because I'm like literally nostalgic for three days ago, but it had it sort of <laughs> it, it gave me that that sort of initial dipping my toe in the water and I didn't hate it. I wanted to hate this band. I think I wanted to hate this band a lot more than I ended up hating them. I don't know. When you start off with gross rock and roll misspelling like this. It just really, it's not, you're not getting off on the right foot with me. (laughs) My first note. So I, I had a tweet written after I listened to this, the first one, which is, this is for people who want to be in a rock band, but want to remain virgins because this is nothing but like a sea of angry dudes. This is the opposite of Aerosmith and rock stardom. It's just teen angst and you know 20s angst that's a great question yeah no no ladies no ladies at these shows i i seriously doubt that they're i i did see these guys in camden once actually as part of some rock festival or something it wasn't Ozfest, but it was something i would have been more scared of that than actual camden well and you you want to talk about (laughs) that's that's a lot by the way You want to talk about a genre of music that does not translate to stadium rock? Holy crap. This, it just sounded like mud. When you get to those lower frequencies and it's that loud and there's double bass, it just sounds like Alan's blender, but at like 140 (laughs) decibels for an hour and a half. Well, rough. Especially Ozfest, which is like a long affair, which means that most of it's during the day. And that Camden Stadium is like open air for most of it. And so right. you're like outside in the sunlight listening to this right. music? That doesn't, that doesn't <laughs> this track does not at all. translate. <laughs> in a club in Little Armenia in LA. That sounds pretty badass. I'd like, right. I could get down on that. <laughs> I'm just picturing all the guys throughout history who have tried to get their girlfriends to listen to this and appreciate it. Hmm. They probably weren't their girlfriend for very long after that. <laughs> Rob, I will, I will relate uh, a story. I, actually, I don't think it was me and you. It might have been me and Phil. I went to go see The Sword. I'm trying to think of who I saw The Sword with. I saw him at um, Bimbo's. And I was back at the bar getting a drink. And they started playing Working Man. And I was like, hell fucking yeah. This is great. And there was this woman standing next to me at the bar. Super attractive woman. 
and was clearly like so not into it. And I was kind of like, how do you not like this? This is like it's the sword playing Rush. It's just like my boyfriend made me come. And I was like, okay. I mean, I get it. But like, come on, it doesn't get what these guys are awesome and they're playing one of the best Rush songs. This is amazing. The sword playing Rush. It's a real panty drop or something. <laughs> it should have been. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I was not there with my wife. I was definitely like, oh yeah, zero interest in this whatsoever. <laughs> no interest. In, you know, you got to know your audience, right? Sure. All right, let's move this thing along to the next song we're going to talk about. This one is called Sugar. There were a lot of candidates for the most embarrassing, cringeworthy lyric on this record. <laughs> but I vote for I play Russian roulette every day with a bullet called life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's pretty terrible. That's that, pretty is some, that is some 19 year old shit right there. Contrast with kombucha mushroom, people. That just had me laughing, and I've had that little, just that phrase going around on my head. The kombucha mushroom. So, you guys all are familiar with the the movie Die Hard 2, correct? Sure. Um, That's the plane? It's the plane, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's, air, it's airport one. Die right? Hard at, uh, at BWI, or Dulles. Yeah. No, Die Hard at Dulles, I believe. <laughs> yes. um, and uh, there's a, a line in there where Bruce Willis is like, talking to uh, I believe Dennis Franz who is the uh, the the captain there and uh, he's like you know what that gun was it's a Glock 7 it's made out of porcelain so it doesn't get picked up by your metal detectors and it costs more than you make in a month and it's like okay that completely bumps me cuz like there's not there's no such thing as a Glock 7 handgun it's not made out of porcelain they're actually pretty cheap like all of the facts are wrong and at one point he says i got a little gun from Sacco Like he he references a very specific gun manufacturer oh, called Sacco, which only makes rifles. They've made exactly <laughs> one pistol in the entire history of their time as a weapons manufacturer, and it was like a match pistol, huge, freaking huge. It would not fit in your pocket. It would not be considered cute. It's an ugly, gigantic pistol. And like, why would you even pick that yes. and say like, I got it from Sacco. It's cute. It fits in my pocket. Like you fucking didn't. Picking, like, why? It doesn't I don't like these guys now. This, <laughs> this is the kind of shit you're not going to get anywhere else. Guys. <laughs> I specifically was like, hold on a second. Sacco's a rifle manufacturer. I got to go check that out. And I like, I went down through the entire history of everything they've ever made. I found one pistol, exactly one pistol they ever made that was ever produced, ever sold. And it, yeah, it was like, hasn't even produced since the early 80s. Like, you're a fucking liar, all right? Liar. <laughs> Surge, how dare you not resatch your... Resatch. <laughs> Fuck it. I'll resatch. cut that one. 
I don't know what it was about. Uh, Some have have mused that it's potentially sugar is supposed to be cocaine, but nothing else in the song. I I don't get it. He kicks his girlfriend at one point, but then he says, and she's okay in this weird fake voice. That's just so weird. Wasn't this one of their this quote unquote singles? This was a single. Yeah. I just don't get it. It, it reminds I, me. <laughs> There's this, this is a digression, but there is, I don't know if anyone follows the NBA at all, but there's this famous quote where somebody has this awesome dunk in a game and the announcer goes, if you don't like that, then you don't like NBA basketball. And that's just how I feel about this. I I just don't like metal, I guess. I I don't know what else to say. (laughs) You can like lots of metal without liking this. I think there's lots of metal fans that don't like this. This this is, it's its own thing. They really have have some unique stuff going on here. This is this song helped identify this and the last tune we're going to talk about helped me again. I think I'm renaming the genre to spaz metal because they just seem spastic. There's a point in the song where it breaks down and there's hits and then he does like weird voices and another hit and it's just very disjointed. So spastic. Yeah. My desolate room, no lights, no music, Darth but yeah like i could see this not being about but i can certainly see every song on this album as being inspired by cocaine like that (laughs) makes a ton of sense to me Um, these guys strike me as probably pretty straight edge i would imagine is that the case yeah so surge is a super laid back it's so odd right so other people had mentioned that you see this guy on stage and you know they look like they're going to murder everyone the music you know feels like everybody in the crowd's going to murder each other and you talk to him afterwards and he's super soft-spoken totally chilled out i saw an interview with rain wilson that he did where he was all you know mantraed out like he's just a very laid back dude i'm not sure about the other guys but at least Sir Tonkian's very, very, uh, maybe he took some of those Rick Rubin uh, vibes and, and went all Buddhist on us. Although I guess there is the one song that we'll talk about in a little bit that sounds like it's probably about having like a bad trip or something. I don't know. I guess that remains to That's be. That's the one where you, you're in the sky. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Stuck in uh, the sky. So at the end of this song, it kind of does that like stop, slow, start to speed up. I like that. That rocks. It's a cool part. If there were no lyrics over that, I would like it so much more. Because the lyrics are really bad over it. Um, that's the, uh, you know. Uh, what do I feel? What do I say? Yeah. I sit in my desolate room. No lights, no music, just anger. I've killed everyone. I'm away forever, but I'm feeling better. How do I feel? What do I say? Fuck you. It all goes away. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> no so lyrics bad. over that would have been so much better. Or even just You're him right. just going. Give it a Yeah, dark scatting. Alan in the uh, studio with his blender. I should copyright that. It sounded better. <laughs> Again, the B-52s, the guys credited with playing a smoke alarm. You could have been on this album playing the blender. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything we want to say on Sugar? Can you say the title the <laughs> correct way, Adam? 
versus sugar. I don't know how else would you say it. Sugar. <laughs> sugar. First you get the sugar, then you get the powder. <laughs> All right. Uh, next, we're going to dive into a song called Pluck, or is it P-L-U-C-K? We don't know. Here it is. soundscape at the beginning of this one yeah i think uh yeah i got excited i thought we were dropping into a guns and roses song (laughs) (laughs) i did think this was the most interesting song on the record for those reasons i I thought there was some nice guitar work the kick in though just ruined it from from that intro and this was actually one of the songs where like i found myself at times i think it was either the song or a different song where I could sense when a, a kick in was about to come in with a scream. And I was like physically bracing myself <laughs> just because I goes. knew it was just going to hit me. Listen, attention drummers, double bass is overused. We're not impressed. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can't do it, but there's a lot of stuff I can't do that's really unimpressive. So, so I thought this tune was kind of cool because, well, First off, the the P-L-U-C-K of the title stands for Politically Lying, Unholy, Cowardly Killers. This is pretty blatantly about the genocide in 1915. I think they actually say genocide, potentially Armenia, potentially 1915. It's pretty out there. It's pretty on the nose. They don't drop 1915. They they drop genocide a lot. A lot. Right, right. But that's what I I believe is referred to as a backronym. Where like you come up with a word and then you come up with the words that it is an acronym for. Yeah. Like, okay. Uh, yeah. There's like, no way that they started with that first. I, I assume sure, that's right. how yeah. all of them were created. It just seems like they're all shoehorned in every acronym. I was going to say another fun yeah. example of a backronym is when people try to tell you that rap stands for rhythm and poetry. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the case. Obviously. It's your <laughs> <Yeah>. liars. <laughs> Cool stands for rip rap rip it to do. <laughs> <laughs> I dig this song because it has a couple different things going on. It's got that little soundscapey intro thing. It does this is a good example of what I, I consider the blast beat, right? Which is baka 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 baka. You know, very sharp stop, very well timed, pretty tight. He breaks into like a disco beat as well. While there's actually a counter melody, this might be one of the only counter melodies 
on the album where the guitar the guitar is doing something and the singer is doing something else and they play really nicely together. There's also a weird time thing going on where yes. it's in four and then they I haven't I've listened to this 20 times and I cannot figure it out. I don't know if they jump from four to two, but they're on the upbeat, the one and because it goes from one, two, three, four to one and two and one and two and one. It's just I was trying to count that out myself and I was like, no, I'm pretty sure this drops into a two because it's not an odd time. It's not a three. It's not a five. It's not a seven. But when you come back in, the snare is hitting. Yeah. Yeah. The and they changed the accents, but I think they just can't. I just think it's went to a two with a different accent on it. Interesting, like there's interesting stuff going on in this song. My note on this is like, they should use harmony more. They use it well yeah. in this song. They should use it more. But this is also not the me- the venue to get across your super serious lyrics about the genocide. Because again, I can't understand a goddamn word you're saying. And they put it last on the album as well. This is track 14 or 13 or something. Elimination, elimination, elimination. Die. Why? Walk down, walk down. A whole race genocide. Take away all our pride. A whole race genocide. Revolution, the only solution. These are, again, like, I know you're angry about it. I think it's, I I get why you're angry about it. You know, just take a step back for a second there, buddy. But uh, also, if you're going to try to put out a, um, you know, there's a reason why Eric Clapton did Tears in Heaven as like a super stripped down, like uh, acoustic <laughs> why, song. Why are you going to do get Try to get some, <laughs> some real, you know, impactful lyrics out there out front as opposed to like just a mush of I can't understand what the hell you're saying and I have to read the liner notes to figure out what your message is. I thought around two minutes in they dropped into what sounded like Siamese Dream era Smashing Pumpkins kind of vibe. The, the harmony, high harmony guitar. Yeah, Gee, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was very refreshing. Okay, now now back into the breach, boys. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that song had some interesting like pockets there it's the constituent parts i think were decent but they just didn't last very long and they would change right. very abruptly and it just felt like a very disjointed experience um not that i, I need mean, to be hit over the that's head their, that is their sweet spot is like disjointed, disjointed. don't settle in yeah. like yeah i agree you definitely don't know where they're going next i guess that's a, to their credit sure I do think if they let the rhythm section have a little more space that you could hear cuz i on in later albums they're really tight. Their drummer, it, I, I think the drummer is probably the most technically talented in the band, and he and the bass player have have a pretty have a pretty tight groove when when they get into it and let it let it marinate for a you know. They're good musicians, like that. I mean, but that's the thing; they have no patience. They have, they exhibit right. very little patience. In no songs. place in my notes is the word groove at all. <laughs> <laughs> it oh, does not fit. Like, all, right, like all right, point yeah. point taken. <laughs> All right, let's go on to our next song on the list here. This one's called Peephole.
If you guys thought that this album was missing something, I bet you thought it was tuba. <laughs> I was just like, there's if, a tuba on this album. My note is, if Tom Waits was going to cover a System of the Down song, <laughs> this would be the one that he would cover. Well, I'll give them some credit here that this is the, this predates, there's, there was a little mini revival in indie rock of this kind of Eastern European orchestra march beat kind of thing via bands like Gogo Bordello or that band Beirut, you, you know, and so they're, they're maybe a little predating that, that vibe, but this is, I mean, the lyrics again, just like completely pull you out of any possible enjoyment of this thing. Well, this is the one that I thought when, to our point earlier, asking like my suggestion that they are probably straight edge, I guess does contradict the fact that this sounds like it's maybe about like a bad trip or weed experience i i couldn't quite figure out what was what was happening yeah when your stars are baked and your rivers fly did you ever believe you were stuck in the sky it's like i don't know maybe like, it depends on how like super duper high i was but like kind of not really maybe they should be writing children's books instead over <laughs> <laughs> real well let me tell you about the time that the Ottoman Empire's Jack Booted Thugs kicked in the skulls of children your age. <laughs> oh my God. This tune also has one of the very few solos you're going to hear on the album. Let's drop in a little bit of that here. It's funny, I was listening to an interview with Darren Malachi, and I guess he was 22 or 23 at the time, and he didn't seem like a very confident guy. It's like if you were to ask me, Adam, why don't you play solos? I would make up something like, oh, or or why don't you play fast? Oh, I I like more, you know, soulful things. No, it's because I'm not good. Like, I can play play riff rock, but if you ask me to solo, I'm going to run off stage crying. And it was just funny to hear him be like, oh, well, you know, we don't we're not really about that. I'm not really into that. So it was uh, interesting to hear him finally do a solo on the album. <laughs> not necessarily the most complex. Yeah, I was going to say, and then you're like, oh, that's why. That's right. why you don't do solos. Oh, you, played, okay. you played the melody. Okay, uh, that makes sense. I know this is a digression, but have, we haven't talked about their facial hair yet, right? Because <laughs> this is the worst trend in beards that I could really think of which is either the single braid or I think the guitar player for a while had the double braid, the kind of (laughs) coming down off of the little, off of the chin strap. Double, off the double Fu Manchu. Uh, Yeah, coming off of almost nothing else on the face. It's ridiculous. I feel like you have to be shirtless when you're rocking that on stage. It's just part of the ensemble. Yeah, you're not like wearing khakis in a polo. (laughs) Just like, hey guys. (laughs) At at least the Limp Biscuit guy had the decency to put some face paint on. (laughs) (laughs) I saw a lot of a lot of images of them with face paint on. Like Surge has the third eye painted on a whole lot and stuff like that. Yeah. They were really into they were really into Kiss, actually. That was one of the, the bands that they were really into uh, growing up was Kiss. So I think it was maybe the guitar player's idea that that those first couple of shows that they were playing in some of those small L.A. clubs, man, they did up the, the face paint. It, it looks wacky. You know what the funny thing is? Is that Kiss sucks. And so, <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah, such the uh, the writers of such uh, such such excellent songs as "Love Gun" and "Lick It Up." 
<laughs> Not a gimmick at all. <laughs> all right, we're going to round things out here. We're going to bring it home with a tune called Darts, which I picked as potentially the low light of the of the album. So here, let's uh, you know what? I poisoned the well. Sorry folks, here's Darts. to amend our worst of list I think it's time we, we uh, make, a, make a change here but Alan what <laughs> do you mean if you are the I, I just it's just not cool <laughs> it's not man <laughs> it's just it's just it's something that my kids would do right like you said Alan like they found the mic and they're like no 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 <laughs> There's nothing doing? redeeming about the song whatsoever. Oh, is there and is there like an alarm clock at the end <laughs> kind of going on underneath it? It just sounds like there's like a like one of those like old school double belled like you know um analog alarm clocks kind of if you have your headphones up really loud, it's kind of just like <laughs> this song is boring as hell because yeah, they had it. they had a formula. And their formula was like, just throw a whole bunch of shit at you. You never know what's going to come. Whoa, it's going to be crazy. <laughs> and then they're like, okay, let's just play the same four chords the entire song. How about we do that? And then even when we break it down, we're just going to do the same four chords the entire time with the entire song. <laughs> I, I would have, boring would have been fine. I would have been fine with boring. But this was like, this is offensive. Well, it's, it's really funny because think about that. When you have... <laughs> The loudest guitars and the loudest drums and the loudest and distorted everything. And it's still boring. It tells you you're doing something wrong. We said at the top, this was a rough week. This, uh, this, took, this took a lot out of me physically. <laughs> I, I couldn't listen to it, you know, really out, out, out loud too much. So For this one, I just wrote Blink-182 in hell. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, Adam, I want to go back to your point about this being draining. Like hard rock albums that are very samey do physically tire me out. Like by the time I'm done listening to them, it's like, oh God, another one? Right. Well, let me guess you're gonna use the same guitar tone again. Okay, ooh, and it's gonna be another fast one. And then kind and of when I was one. when I was 25, again, this resonated different with me. Right. I get it was a late, it was other albums, but it rocked and I was into it. And the fact that we were playing some of these tunes, there's an energy, like there's a crazy amount of energy when you were in the, this mix on stage playing this kind of music with four or five other guys. And when it's tight, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very cool experience that doesn't necessarily translate to a 41 year old guy. <laughs> So it's, uh, you know, but trying to you, keep things in perspective. You also were not playing any of the, You didn't play darts in the set, right? <laughs> no, no, no. But but so, similar, similar. Well, no, because you're right. The uh, the tunes from Toxicity were just better I songs. think they're just better. <laughs> playing yeah. darts into Laid by James would have made for a nice <laughs> <laughs> segue. 
<laughs> Fellas, medley. It's going to be dark. Sweet home Alabama. <laughs> People. And then bring it home with... Uh, Living on a prayer. Was that Nelly song? <laughs> right. If you want to go and take a ride with me, it in the back and... What? <laughs> I've seen Wait, you cover that song. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say you you've seen our set. Yeah, All right, yeah. you have a, a set list. Somewhere. I remember you came out into the crowd and were like handing the mic to people to do the oh "Hey, must be the money" line. Yeah, I'd have probably got and laid way s- more than us, by the way. Oh, <laughs> one million percent. But I remember you like you came up and you like put the mic in front of my face and was like, "Hey, must be the money." <laughs> You could have just screamed. The worst like delivery you. of oh, yeah. all time. It's kind of like Adam. I thought you knew me well enough to know that this is just not. <laughs> I, this is not, not going to happen. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Fun time. Tw- Twenty now. years after the fact, I apologize. That's yeah, okay. <laughs> I got super blackout drunk at that show, so I had a good time. Supposedly. <laughs> <laughs> all right, folks. Let's bring this home. Does System of a Downs? debut album from 1998 deserve to be on the list of the 1001 albums you must hear before you die let's kick this over to alan first i I, I mean could i possibly say yes after (laughs) (laughs) insert insert blender sound effect (laughs) no in all seriousness i i do think there is something to take away from this record i think the it's very distinct it's very unique the fact that they straight up did not give a fuck. I really appreciate that. I had also read something that their decision to even sign with Rick Rubin was like, they had other plans to sign elsewhere and they were just like, ah, fuck it. He seems to like what we're doing. So let's just go with him. And so there, there's a lot about this band. I don't want to shit on them as musicians and, and kind of their contribution to music. They seem to have a lot of people that really like this. Um, but I, there's no way I can possibly say that you like must listen to this before you die. <laughs> Alan, I just want to jump in here for a second. You're telling me that they were like, well, you know, Rick Rubin, Rick fucking Rubin, Rick, the goddamn <laughs> hit maker Rubin wants to sign our band. But I don't know. We got this other guy over here. His name's like <laughs> Mutt Stanford. And I think maybe we'll sign with him instead. What the hell were they thinking? He's Rick fucking Rubin. I could listen. I don't have the full context on that. That's just something I read that I don't think they were kind of weighing all their options and saying, oh, here's Rick Rubin. And here's this guy. I think it was more like they maybe had some other things in the works and he kind of came along. Oh, a part of it was he did say, and this was possibly said earlier, that he was straight up like, I don't think this is something that like the masses are going to like. And right. so I do think yeah. that was something they had to like factor in. But yes, yeah, so you're, you're right. They're in no position to turn him down. But I do think it was a decision. Is we chill on the Armenian genocide stuff a little bit? Is that <laughs> possible? No, no. Okay, okay. I get it. I get it. All right. Yeah, all right. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's, that's a no from Alan. Let's throw it over to Rob. What I recommend instead of listening to this record is go to Chinatown, any Chinatown in America, and find that old guy, street musician, who's playing that one-stringed <laughs> violin where he just bends the note all the time. You get a pretty good idea of what Serge Tonkin's vocal performance is like. No, it's a definite no for me. This is absolutely, this is borderline unlistenable. I, I'm going to go on record and say this is this was my worst week of the podcast thus far. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> we just did Kid I, Rock. <laughs> Holy crap, that's saying something. I think it was motivated partly by the fact that I was listening to it on 
public transit and I was feeling like it must be bleeding through my headphones and I was feeling embarrassed <laughs> by that oh aspect God. of it. In Thailand. <laughs> right. Well, so that's what I was going to say because, you know, for, yeah, for those not on the call, I'm living abroad right now and I recently met someone online to like get together and play music with like a new friend. And when you first connect with another musician, you go through this like first date little dance of uh, what bands do you like? And I'm kind of desperate to even have <laughs> friends here and play music. But I had I admit this happened a couple of weeks ago, but I admit I had been thinking, like, what would be a disqualifier here in this? Oh, text yo. Tray? If 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 he like saw your phone on the ground and saw that you would listen to this album <laughs> 20 times in three days, like, dude, this guy listens to Nana Cherry. On repeat. <laughs> so, so the good news is now I know if someone proposes to play music with me, and they say I like System of Down. You know what? I'm not going to play like that. I'm not going to. I don't want to hear you play like that. It's not going to work, dude. I'm sorry. Date it, over. It's an easy way to filter out the, the noise, you know? All right, Tom, what do you got for us? Why don't I leave this album off the list? I wanted to. <laughs> this album fucking sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't get down with it. I like a couple of the songs in this, but I can't get down with it. And their second album is a lot better. It's a lot better than this. And I'm not even a big fan of that one, but it's objectively better. Listen to that one. Listen to the toxicity. If this is, if you're like, wow, you know, I could see a more evolved version of this speaking to me. Listen to toxicity. You here, here's one of the other things that I will say. Oftentimes I will look at an album that I didn't necessarily like, but say it was the progenitor of a whole bunch of different music that borrowed from it, grew out of it. Nothing sounds like this. This is kind of its own thing, and it sort of is almost like a musical dead end. And I don't like this little musical cul-de-sac that they live on. And so don't bother making that turn. Keep on driving. All right. This is Adam, and I'm going to echo some of the things that were said. I do appreciate that these guys just didn't care. I also think that potentially their other albums are the ones that you should be listening to. So as Tom said, Toxicity mesmerize or hypnotize i think are much they're just better there's more melody the guys kind of figured out like hey we can sing maybe we should do that maybe we should do harmony i think the music got a little more complex again there's just more melody i like i like melody and this album lacked a lot of that so unfortunately it's a no for me as well i am sorry serge tankian uh, it's a no for System of a Down. He has a badass name if it's any consolation prize. <laughs> Do you know what his record company is called? Surgical Strike. Nice. Good. I think the money from the 40 million album sales is probably much more of a consolation prize. <laughs> yes. If you look at the way he lives now where he's just going out, oh, I just made a jazz band. I will say that the documentary was kind of a little spinal tappy because he's like, oh yeah, I'm working with orchestras now. And I even put together a jazz thing. I'm like, well, okay. And now he's making paintings, you know, the true artist who was just awash in money and just doing his thing. It's kind of annoying. And I don't know why I found this funny, but I saw that the guitar player Malakian is a hardcore Edmonton Oilers fan. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why I found that amusing, but they're in like the, they're in, raised in LA. <laughs> yes, that's correct. Yes. Yeah, I, I assume it's because they had Gretzky when he was growing up, right? That's Gretzky mm. played for that team. I think in the eighties. Uh, yes, we don't, we don't have our resident NHL expert on the call right now. Yeah. Phil could, uh, you know, close the gaps for us. Yeah. All right. There you have it, folks. It's a no for system of a down. 
Now we're going to throw things over to Tom, who's got the Albinator all revved up, ready to go to tell us what we're going to be listening to 30 times again this upcoming week. Tom, what do you got? Hopefully we're going to go back to that well of spaz metal and get another <laughs> album. Uh, yeah, I, I would be quitting the podcast if that was the case. So <laughs> here's to hoping something a little bit more palatable this week. Without any further ado, drum roll, please. Next week we will be listening to something that's a little different. A little different. Uh, it's the album Purple Rain by the artist Prince. In case you oh, need a little known okay. album, I've, I think I've heard yeah. of it. As opposed to the Purple Rain by Slayer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's their follow up, Purple Rain in Blood. <laughs> yeah, that was that's good. Well done, nice, sir. Nice, well nice, done. nice Jeopardy clue there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, this is going to be a fun one. I am a fan of this album. It's got some highs and lows, like all of Prince's catalogs, but this is a good one. It's hard to feel ambivalent about Prince. I'll say that. I definitely have some hot takes on Prince for sure. I do as well. Uh-huh. So this is going to be a fun, a fun week. This will be a, a spirited discussion as they always are. This should be interesting. I remember Rob, you and I were um, sitting at the hearth back in our old Tuesday night drinking days when we'd get done band practice and go get Miller High Life's at the hearth. And we, they had a nice little old jukebox and we put on, I put on Purple Rain and some asshole was just like loudly espousing how Purple Rain is not a good song. And I was like, man, okay, say what you want about Prince and his catalog and the, you know, the inconsistencies therein, but Purple Rain's a damn good song. And you probably should shut the fuck up about that. <laughs> I know it's going to blow your mind. I don't remember that particular uh, debacle, but when Tom got his ass this... kicked over Purple Rain. <laughs> I did not get my ass kicked over Purple Rain. I sat and seethed in silence right, as exactly. is my way. <laughs> that is perfect Tom's story. Yeah. All right, folks, did we get it right? Did we get it wrong? We would love your feedback. Please shoot us an email at 1001albumcomplaints at gmail.com. That's 1001, the number, albumcomplaints at gmail.com. We look forward to getting them all the time. And uh, yeah, we appreciate your feedback. And with that, I think we're going to wrap things up. So for 1001 Album Complaints, I'm Adam. I'm Alan. I'm Rob. And I'm Tom. <laughs> and then, Alan, you send me your blender noise on your iPhone, and I'll throw that in, too. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>